Hey there, this is the Penny on Your Thoughts podcast, and I am your host, Penny Chason. I'm a board-certified hypnotist, intuitive, and experiencer. This podcast is about tapping into your subconscious to create a more aligned and abundant life. By leveraging our subconscious, we can master our thoughts, frequency, and vibration. Fusing the conscious, subconscious, and our consciousness is the science of expansion and soul satisfaction. Each week, I'll share in-depth interviews or solo episodes. This podcast was created to share how you have the power to create infinite potential within you. It's my intention that you find this podcast empowering, inspiring, and full of possibility. Now grab your favorite beverage and let's go. Hey, it's Penny, and I want to take a very quick moment to introduce my guest today. I have known her for a few years. She is a past student. She is a past client, and she has attended my retreat. She is just a wonderful human, and she's here to share a little bit about her story and about a book that she's recently had published. My guest is Drinda Richards. She's a spiritual teacher, a subconscious mind expert, and a published author. And people really know her for her no BS approach to personal and spiritual growth. She's got 40 years of diverse experience across multiple industries from ministry to law enforcement to corporate. This experience informs her Sacred Soul programs where she helps professional women release the limiting beliefs that they have so they can enjoy a life filled with purpose, passion, power, and prosperity. Let's jump right in. Hey, Drenda, it's awesome to have you here. I'm just really excited for your new book, Dare to Remember, Uncover Who You Were Before the BS, and to just really unpack Uh, what has gone into that. We can reach this point where we realize it's really time to dive deep and really share what's important to us. And I feel like this book is a part of that journey for you. So first of all, I want to say thank you for coming on to the podcast. I'm so excited for your book and for this next step that you've taken and the impact and the difference um, that it's going to make. Welcome. Well, thank you. Very kind of you. It's great to be here. It's great to see you. And honestly, you are a part of this journey and this transformation. So thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. I just, I I love watching people blossom and reveal their true nature and tap into that authenticity layer by layer. I've really sat back and, and watched how you have come out of your shell so to speak around this and not that you were hiding before but you and I both know that typically as humans we don't even realize sometimes the filters that we have and the barriers that we have to really going deeper within what was the key moment that led to you deciding it was time to write this book? The book actually started out as a book. I was going to write a book on prayer, oddly enough. And it was um, going to be praying 
helping people pray from a place of faith instead of fear. Because I grew up around people who we all believed in prayer and laying on of hands, but at the same time, there was a lot of fear. Is God really going to heal them of this? Is this really going to happen? And there was always this sense of fear in all of their prayers. And the mothers that would wait up all night until the kids got home praying or whatever they were, and they really were worrying, not praying. It was just flat out worry and anxiety. And so it was like, how, what if we could just stop that? How much more powerful would we be if, if we were praying from that place? And then it morphed into, look at all the fear in our lives. And then where did it come from? And uncovering that and then releasing it and just remembering that we are limitless and that we are powerful and we can co-create our lives. And just walking with confidence and that feeling of empowerment versus playing small and buying into the labels and the stories that everybody has said to us and put on us. I find that interesting because I often think to myself, if people only knew how to pray the right way, and not that there's a right way and a wrong way, but even within the Bible, whether you're Christian or not, and I, I believe it's in the Talmud as well, it talks about how our word creates. And it also talks about how, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you're a minister, there's something in there about the sword and the tongue. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time since I sat in church. That's coming through very evidently <laughs> right now. But I just remember the one thing that has always resonated with me so deeply in Christianity is that ask and it is given, it's done. So if you ask and you truly know that it's done, then you simply need to ask for what you want. And being a hypnotist, knowing how the mind works and belief, it, it really plays a role to know that we have to ask for what we want rather than asking for what we don't want, because I have honestly sat in churches where there were small children in the pews and heard deacons and ministers say, you are not worthy unless, and I have heard people pray in that same church, please have mercy on us. We are not worthy of your gifts. I, I never thought about it until I became a hypnotist and I'm like, oh my God, what are we programming here? Uh, especially when we look about believing that we can have a life that is full and meaningful to us. What's You were a minister. Did hypnosis play a role in how you see this whole process? Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so just as easily as we can speak life into somebody, we can also kill their spirit. And you can see that in parents with their kids that you're having a rough day or they're on your last nerve and you speak harshly to them or you say something to them. You can see that you've killed their spirit. To think that our words aren't powerful, you're fooling yourself because we can see it every day. No saying little pictures have big ears. They do, and a lot of times um, it gets into the heart. It gets into your subconscious. And whether it was something said in passing and not even meant in the way that the kid took it or wasn't even meant for them to hear, 
they still hear it and it still gets stuck in that subconscious and it becomes a loop knowingly or unknowingly and it begins to control decisions from that day forward and then you find out when you're in your 40s and 50s why am i still doing why am i doing this why do i repeat the same things why can i not get ahead and it can sometimes go back to that conversation that the little pitcher heard you talked about how it evolved from prayer to the deeper beliefs that we have the deeper fears that we have what's something that you've experienced that led to your own inner knowing for yourself um, that these fears these beliefs exist and they influence your life gosh I don't even know where to start on that one <laughs> um I was at a point it was before COVID and I was just feeling stuck and I tried all the right things. I'd done all the right things and I still wasn't where I wanted to be, where I felt I should be. And it was just like, what am I doing wrong? What else is there? There's got to be something else out there. I wasn't going to church at that point. We were done with church at that point. Still love God, still believe in Jesus, but the whole church thing was peace out. And growing up, I had always had questions because things just didn't seem right. We couldn't drink wine. We couldn't drink alcohol. But the people in my, the, the same denomination on the West Coast or in the North, they could drink wine, they could drink. And I would ask my mom, how come they can drink and we can't? And she said, they're not real Christians. And I was like, wait, that doesn't make sense. They go to the same church. How can they not be real Christians? So I thought, okay, if they're wrong about that, and I was raised, you couldn't wear earrings, you couldn't wear makeup, you couldn't do all these things. Then as I got older, I could wear makeup, I could wear pants. I got my ears pierced. I didn't go to hell. <laughs> at least not yet. The, the skies didn't open and or the ground didn't open and swallow me up. If it's okay now, why wasn't it okay then? And there was just a lot of inconsistencies. And if they were wrong about that, what else are they wrong about? And so I just began looking around to see what else there was. And I came across a transformational coaching program, which is where I met you. And there's one piece of it where there's one of his tools and it was like, oh, I've been taught that was evil and wrong. And I'm opening myself up to evil spirits if I do that. And I saw the, the transcript of what was going to take place. And I read it first to make sure there was nothing wrong in there. There was nothing evil. There was nothing bad. It was just normal stuff. So I was like, okay, they're wrong about that. And then... I was realizing that I was having some money issues. Um, and so that's when I came to you and I was like, hey, can you help? And it helped. And it was like, okay, this hypnosis thing is the tool that I've been missing. Because in church, all you can say is read your Bible more, pray more, but that's about it. Some churches will have deliverance ministries, which are done off secret everybody's secretive about it and they're done somewhere off in the woods and nobody talks about it but hypnosis was the door that I felt provided the tools and techniques that people could use to actually get over their stuff it is powerful and I say that with anything it's about intention you can have good or bad intention mm -hmm. about anything and I'm gonna go here and say it even prayer yeah, and that was something I was going to mention a while ago is you were talking about 
prayer and the word and the power of your words. And then a lot of times they'll say, if you don't pray in Jesus name, it's not going to work. Or you have to say in Jesus name, and then you have to say all these other things. People who are desperate, their families have, I know one family, the wife had cancer and they were desperate. They were going all over the place, trying to get televangelists to pray for their, and they were saying so many prayers, so many times a day. And it became almost like Christian witchcraft, saying spells, saying it in a certain, saying it at a certain time, just say these words, just like this, or it's not going to happen. That sounds like witchcraft and spellcasting to me. I love it. You just come right out and say what you think now. <laughs> not to make fun of people, it's, it's what we were taught. I grew up in the Bible Belt and I wasn't introduced into church on a regular basis until I was around 10 years old. And I remember just having a sense that some things didn't feel right. And then when I got into my teens, I, I remember thinking that this book has been translated so many times how do you know that's exactly what they mean because some of the bible is translated through dead languages it was selectively edited by the catholic church it was then if you do the king james version it was edited it like it's literally his version <laughs> so we're talking a little bit about praying was there anything that you want to elaborate on around that? Because sometimes when we pray, maybe we're not using the language that's going to be most helpful. I think you mentioned that sometimes we're taught you have to pray a certain way and use certain words, but is there anything I want to share more about? Because prayer is such an important part of a spiritual practice, whether you're in a church or you're not in a church. That is very true. And you don't have to be in a church. You don't have to be a Christian to pray. And I think, and I said earlier about the people who were praying for a relative to be healed and they were, it was almost like a mantra. And I did not, I'm not trying to be judgmental or anything like that. It was, People are desperate sometimes, and they're willing to do anything to get their loved one healed. And praying is great. Maybe you don't have to do a whole mantra. What if it's just, hey, God, we need your help here. You set your intention that the person is going to be healed or that, that the doctors, the right doctors are going to come at the right time, that the right personnel are going to come at the right time, the right drug will come at the right time. The right wisdom will come to know how to deal with the situation. What if you did it more like that instead of fear, desperation, and come again from a more of a place of peace and faith? That's a different type of frequency. And that's where a lot of healing can happen because it, there's just a peace. There's no, none of this blocking it. What if, if we just like, I will be done? And then we set our intention to be open to whatever happens and just set our intention again, that the right things will come into play at the right time and that everybody can be at peace with what's going on. The woman who touched the hem of Christ's garment, it was her faith that healed her. She didn't Not say, well. please, please, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Please, please. No, she just, she just did it. This goes back to 
what I was talking about, the prayers around, I'm not worthy. We may not even realize that that can seep into our being and we're in that desperation of prayer. There's a part of us that may believe we're not worthy of that healing, that we're not good enough. We haven't been good enough, um, righteous enough, or maybe we've sinned too much or whatever. I agree with you. When, when people are in those states and they're seeking I don't, I definitely don't judge them for seeking. I would love for there to be a way for them to have a deeper understanding of being able to have that trust and that belief that they're worthy of that healing to begin with. Yeah. And I was thinking you have a medical background and with your CRNA, you probably saw it, or let me ask you the question. Did you see a difference in how you had to medicate people and their healing progression when they were instant in fear versus those that were at peace. Did you see a difference? Oh, always, always. Because when we're in a state of fear or anticipation, it really amplifies our body's stress response. And, and when heart. the stress response is elevated, there's more adrenaline circulating, there's more cortisol circulating, all of these hormones, and it definitely takes more medication. And then in terms of other treatments, now, depending on how chronic this state has been, when we enter a chronic state of stress, we enter a chronic state of inflammation. Inflammation is responsible for 90% of disease, cancer, autoimmune, high blood pressure, diabetes, asthma, inflammation is a huge contributor to all of that. It may not be the sole cause. Yes, people can be genetically predisposed, but it is this chronic state in the body that switches those genes on and off. We do have a large degree of, of control. If we just have peace about it, if we can be at peace in the midst of a storm, we can be at peace when there's chaos all around us. We don't have to get caught up in the drama. We don't have to get caught up in the fear. We can walk in peace. The peace surpasses all understanding. And when amazing things can happen, you can be healed. You can have clarity of thought. You can get silent and you can get still. Clarity comes. That, that peace is just amazing. <laughs> peace is amazing and people talk about self-actualization and elevation and all of that peace is at the core of that and your world could literally be going to shit mm -hmm. and you can be at peace if you can find that compassion for yourself if you can not judge yourself and trust yourself to make a decision and to trust yourself that if it's not the right decision, you're going to make a different decision until you find what works. That is self-actualization. You and I were talking about something in the pre-interview, and it's one of the things that for a long time I never spoke of because I knew that people just wouldn't understand. And I didn't want to hear the, oh, you'll go to hell type of, of thing. And that's the stance on uh, abortion. I've never been in the situation. I don't know what choice I would make because I haven't been there. I can't say for sure whether or not I would choose it for myself. It is none of my business 
what another woman feels like she needs to do. I, it's not my place to sit in judgment of that. And you've had an experience around that. And we were also talking about the recent overturn of, of Roe v. Wade. We are having a really good conversation. I think it's worth exploring. There's a lot to unpack there on very many levels. Um, first of all, if you've had an abortion, I just want to give you a hug. And sometimes we think we've dealt with it and sometimes we just stuff it. And many times some of the emotional stuff that we're going through, just all of a sudden breaking into tears for no reason. Sometimes that comes from not having had closure with the abortion and not having dealt with it because you can't talk about it because there's so much judgment around it. First of all, I don't, I want people not to feel shame or feel guilt around that and that you can work through that and people are willing to listen and help you through that. Don't hide. And once you shed some light on it, it takes away that stigma and healing can come because light heals. That's part of it. I was in my twenties when you should have known better. I don't think abortion should be a moral issue. I think it's, a, it's my body, my choice. And I can't say what's right for another woman to do. I did what I did. It, it's the only option I felt like I had at that point. I tell the story in the book, a little bit of the story is that you, when you go for an abortion, you have to have somebody go with you. I didn't have anybody. The guy who, the baby daddy, whatever, he was Catholic and it was against his religion. So he couldn't, he wasn't going to go. Ironically, two weeks later, his niece, he found out his niece was pregnant and he paid for her abortion, but he couldn't pay for mine. I didn't have anybody to go. And so there was a lady in my church who was about my mom's age and she, she was totally against it, but she loved me enough. She told me she didn't approve, but she loved me enough to go with me. And that told me that's what being Christ-like is right there. Even though you don't agree with somebody, you can still level and still walk through the stuff with them, even when you don't agree. But she loved me. And so that was huge for me. And I never talked about it again. We never talked about it again. And then many years later, I was in discipleship program and there, this church had a reconciliation ministry where you can you came and you actually gave a name to the baby you talked about your experience with people who had been through it as well it was so cool and it was very healing for me and not everybody gets that opportunity to actually acknowledge that you once carried a baby that you can name it and that you can apologize to it you can tell it whatever you want and it brings such healing and closure maybe for a piece of that but not everybody has that opportunity to do that so for me it was very freeing and I was okay about talking about abortion it's something that happened I get judgment on it uh, family doesn't agree so then the whole thing with Roe v. Wade happens and I'm in Texas and Texas took this really hard stance on it. And my church friends posting and yay, you know, yay, yay, yay. And others were going, it's a bad day for Texas. And 
And so I decided to give a voice because I felt like it's my body, my right. And government should not be able to tell me what I can do with my body. I should have a chance. I should be able to do with my body what I want. And how come the men aren't held responsible on any of this? That's another story. And so I was going to post this and I wasn't ashamed about the, the abortion or anything, but I was fearful that I was going to take some knocks from people I'd gone to church with. But there was a part of me that wanted them just to acknowledge and say, oh, Trenda, maybe we're wrong, or I'm so sorry you had to go through that. When I hit post, there was crickets from them. And that's been, what, a couple of years, a year or so ago. And not one of them has reached out to me to say, hey, I'm sorry you, you went through that, that you didn't have anybody to go through that with you. And that's freed me to just get rid of another layer of holding back on what I have always wanted to say. Because all my life I've been told, you talk too much, you're too direct, you say what you think, people don't want to hear it, blah, 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 blah. I got tired of you know, taking those kind of hits in the church, got tired of taking it in corporate America, so I had shrunk back some. But inwardly, you, you still want to say stuff and you're trying to figure out how to say it without offending everybody and without taking another hit. And finally, it's just like, you know what? I don't really care. I mean, at least in that instance, they didn't really care. The one thing that you feared most didn't even happen. But it also showed you where the compassion was. I think the most powerful thing that you shared in all of that was the woman who didn't agree. But she loved you enough to support you. How has that influenced what you do? I don't always have to agree with what people are doing, but I can love them in spite of not agreeing. And it's made me more compassionate. And I tell a story in the book. I had a friend who got married and I didn't, she wanted me to come to the wedding. And I was like, I didn't like the guy that she was marrying. I didn't think he was right for her. And I felt like if I went to the wedding, that I was um, validating this thing. I didn't want anybody to think that I thought that this was okay. This was before the abortion <laughs> and before the lady showed me compassion. And so I didn't go. And I found out later that it had held up their wedding because I wasn't there and all this stuff. And then when I saw my friend go with me to the abortion, which is, you know, something she was very much opposed to, but yet she did it because she loved me. It was like... I I should have done that for my friend. Even if I didn't agree with who she was going to marry, I should still love her enough to show up. And I've seen in my life where I've been too judgmental and trying to stand up for the righteous, right, the God thing, and forgetting the whole love and compassion thing. And then it's like, okay, remember what it felt like when somebody showed you grace. Do that for somebody else. I apprentice with a shaman and the lessons come back to if we want to write humanity and our existence on this earth, it comes back to unconditional love and compassion. This morning I was sitting with my thoughts and something that just rings very true for me and I, I would love your thoughts on it. When we're in a place where we have an inability to be compassionate with those that we don't agree with, 
somewhere deep down inside, we don't have the ability to be compassionate with ourselves first. Because if we were truly compassionate with ourselves, we would have a deeper understanding of what someone else might be going through, even if we don't know what that something is. Yeah, I was just reminded of the verse, he who has been, been forgiven much, loves much. And a lot of times we have to forgive ourselves first before we can love somebody else or we can love something in somebody else. And you're right, we, we, it's hard to show what we don't have. Or it's hard to give what we don't already have within us. And it does come from a place of self-love and self-worth. So many of our issues revolve around not loving ourselves enough to change, not loving ourselves enough to speak up for ourselves. It does come from that place of forgiveness, forgiving ourselves and loving ourselves. You talked about how some of our beliefs, especially around faith and religion, can keep us trapped. Do you find that there have been situations where those beliefs kept you from loving yourself on that deeper level? having compassion for yourself. Yeah, because I mean, being raised, I was, I'm a second generation preacher's kid. I was raised in a very dogmatic, rigid, legalistic type of environment. And it's like, you should know better. And it was, there was, it was always conditional love. There was no unconditional love. We only love you if you do it our way. If you only speak things our way, if you follow the rules, then we love you. When you stray, don't know that we can trust you, don't know whatever. You're always questioning, am I good enough? Or I should know better. I shouldn't be doing this. It was a lot of condemnation and conditional love. It, it reminds me of hearing hearing the prayers where people pray in the context that they're not worthy of blessings. They're not worthy of forgiveness. And it just creates a whole dynamic that we don't deserve love. At least that's my take on it. We don't deserve love. We don't deserve to be healed. I remember so many years ago, I was diagnosed with depression and they put me on an antidepressant and my dumbass told my mother. And so then she had to call the church ladies to pray. And then one of them said, well, Trenda's got sin in her life. So my mom calls me and says, you've got sin in your life or you wouldn't be depressed. I'm like, no, there's no sin in my life. Well, then you have, um, what was it? Unconfessed sin that you don't know about. What the? This doesn't make sense. And it was all, and it was like, how about I just got something that's not right right now. And it's a chemical issue. How about that? And it was like, no, Christians cannot be depressed. And it's like, bullshit. I call bullshit on that. It's a medical issue. It was a lot of just stupidity, condemnation, judgment on a real medical diagnosis. I've always found it interesting that there seems to be a blurred line, some confusion between what it means to lead as an example in your life versus judgment. And it's just, it, it gets so, so blurred. And probably 
I've worked with hundreds of clients over the last few years. And there are a couple that really stand out to me that they did have the parent that could not accept them if they weren't living their life in that rigid box of the dogma, not of Christianity, but, but of the dogma. And they, they had to come to terms with the fact that they weren't going to receive their parents' love because their parents were so in fear that they were going to go to hell if they didn't check the boxes. I don't want to say it it saddens me. In the past, it would have saddened me. I've learned to separate my emotions from other people's emotions. I have such deep compassion for that because I can't imagine what it feels like because fortunately, I've never experienced it. How are you taking all of this experience and this wisdom? Because my shaman says we cannot lead others to healing through something that we have not had some degree of experience ourselves and healing ourselves. All of these things that you've experienced, the healing, the connecting with the light and finding this place where you can be with your Christianity and be with your spirituality at the same time. How are you taking this and using it to impact other people? Hopefully showing some compassion and some grace, but writing the book and revealing some of this stuff, some of the dogma, both from religion, both from society and showing that there is a path to freedom and that you can make a difference. You can change and it doesn't have to be hard and it doesn't have to necessarily upend your life either. And it can be easy if you let it be easy. And there's a lot of stuff that, it, that the, I think I actually had an opportunity to read one of my own chapters again, um, right before the book published. It was like, okay, apply this that you're, that you put in your book. I think it's just offering some wisdom that I've, that has been shared with me that I've had to live through and work through compounding it with some scriptures that are also spiritual. I see myself blending faith and woo and neither are bad and both are for our better good and helping us get to a place of freedom and a place of love and compassion for ourselves and for others. You said something before we went live, and that was having heard in your life, you've made your bed, you have mm -hmm. to lie in it. Is that one of the things that that motivated this sharing, this helping people? You, your words were, you can make a different decision. Yeah, because so many people feel stuck. They feel stuck in relationships because you're not supposed to get divorced or they're stuck in toxic friendships or whatever. We're told we can't leave unless, or we're told we can't leave at all. Women are afraid to leave because they're, they won't have the same level of income or whatever. I was taught, you made your bed, you got to lie in it. So for the rest of my life, I got to be stuck with a, a, some guy that's beating me? Hell no. I mean, we weren't promoting that. But we can take it to that level that... You made your bed, you're going to lie in it. You're always going to be this way and you just got to deal with it. And it's like, no, 
I can make a different decision. I can get out of this bed and go find me another bed, or I can go find me a different house or whatever it is. And we can always pivot. And just because we make a decision today, when I tell, I was telling my husband this about something is like, just because we make a decision today doesn't mean that in three weeks or three hours, in three minutes, we can say, you know what, that doesn't really work for me. I'm going to make this decision. And you can always pivot. Are there consequences? Are there repercussions? Maybe. But so what? If this isn't a good path for you, then freaking make a different decision and take switch directions. Yeah. I, I love that. Freaking make a different decision. And I think something else that's also valid. There are stories that we tell ourselves around what something means. Compassion unconditional love, forgiveness, and not passing judgment does not mean we have to continue to subject ourselves to behaviors, environments, belief systems that are stifling our joy and our soul. That's not what any of that means. Preach, Sister Penny. If you could share one thing, that if people would just get it, it would change their lives because you definitely alluded to awareness earlier. And I just consider awareness the, the holy grail to everything, because once you have awareness, you can change anything. But with your experience, your journey, dealing with the judgments, being in that rigid dogma, being bold enough to break three and just a couple of years ago, being bold enough to come out in public and say, you know what? I experienced having an abortion and Texas got it wrong. That's a massive amount of growth. That is really standing in what you believe and whether people agree with that stance or not. I know there are a lot of people who secretly wish, oh, I wish I could do, what would you share with them to help them begin to see that it's possible for them as well? If it's possible for me, it's possible for you. And I think, like you said, awareness is the first thing and just realizing that we aren't stuck, that it is just a label or it's just a belief or story, BS, that has been told to us, we've told to ourselves. And once you realize that, you can tell yourself a different story. You can make a different decision. And just know there's a sense of power that comes from that. Just like, I'm not stuck. I can make a different decision. And when you see these stories and beliefs popping up that you, you take time to look at them and not from a place of judgment, but from a place of curiosity, isn't that interesting? Where did that come from? And once you can figure that out, you can release it. Some of the stuff that we deal with, it's just the awareness of it and acknowledging it, not stuffing the emotions, letting the emotions flow, letting them go, and then looking at it and seeing, okay, is this still the direction I want to go? Or did I just make a tiny shift and go this direction? You can make a different decision. <laughs> it really is as simple as that. I've had people ask me, how do I change this? 
how do I change this? I have no willpower. I'm like, decide. And they look at me and they're like, what? I'm like, don't just set a goal. Don't just say, I wish. Decide that this is the way it's going to be. I love that you uh, really dive into this because so many people get married to their past choices and they feel like mm -hmm. they can't walk away from them. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like we could keep going. We may have to come back and do this again, <laughs> but share with everyone where they can get their copy of Dare to Remember. It is on Amazon and it's in Kindle and paperback format. And it's going to be coming out as an audible in February, or you can go to my website, drendathomasrichards.com slash dare to remember, and it'll take you to Amazon. Where can people find you on social if they want to connect, follow you and be in your world? I am on Instagram and Facebook under Drenda Thomas Richards. Sometimes I'm on TikTok. <laughs> Everyone, the biggest takeaways here are when you're going through something difficult or someone else is going through something difficult, whether you agree or you disagree, there is space and room to have compassion and to love someone enough to stand by them, even when you disagree. And also that if you find yourself in a situation that is not feeling aligned for your life, it's not bringing you joy you can break through the belief system that because you basically made your bed, you have to lie in it, you can decide something different. And that lastly, the people who you think are going to judge you the most, sometimes when you step up, stand out and speak your truth, those people are going to be crickets. And the one thing that you were most afraid of, most likely, isn't even going to manifest itself. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I will be back and see you all next week. I hope you can feel my appreciation and gratitude for you, my listener. I would love to connect with you outside of the podcast platform. There are a few ways that you can do that. If you're not already on my email list, you can go to pennychason.com forward slash myth and download the Big Mindset Myth PDF. Or you can go to Instagram and follow me at penny.chason. You can connect with me there. I would love to see you there. And of course, you could always head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a positive review of this episode. I appreciate you and I will see you back here next week.